All right, let's get into the word this morning. I've had a venti coffee. Am I start talking too fast? Y'all just tell me to slow down. Okay. Y'all ready? <laughs> Listen, we've had a great week. Um, really quickly, um, we got a video, a little recap from Youth America um, for you guys to watch. When you see the skateboard flip, that's Trey, just so you know. He's not here this morning, but that's Trey. So y'all will see and know that that's him. Um, but Lizzie, just watch this short little recap of our week. And, you know, they don't show the beds because if they did, nobody would want to come back with me next year. So just enjoy this for a few minutes. Close my eyes and colors fly. There's no hiding from your grace. I can't and he says, I can provide your constant companion, your strength, your advocate, your standby, your wisdom, your counselor. And this is my end of the covenant. And here's what I need from you I need you to believe in me. Because do you know that the Bible says, the Bible says that it says it about itself, that this word is alive and well, that it's a living word. Do you know that every time you open up your word, the author is always present? No, the artist is actually drawing up something beautiful and it may look messy right now, but he's created something for you to see and it's beauty in the chaos. Nine hundred teenagers in one place. God bless Church of the Harvest. Youth America is born out of a local church. It's not just like some random group that puts on a youth camp. It's a church, a local church, and their people volunteer and make it happen. Their staff makes it happen. Welcome over six six weeks this year of over nine hundred kids. So that's over five thousand students and leaders that are going to have the opportunity to experience Youth America. We're very thankful to have been a part. I'm going to start today. The title of this message is the Afterglow. Um, or square up. Y'all know what it means to square up? I wish Carol was here. We have a girl in our youth group named Caroline, and if we are ever in trouble, Caroline is going to take care of things because let me tell you something. She squares up out there, played football with the boys, and was just taking them down. You don't mess with her, right? Don't mess with her. Square up, the afterglow. Um, I want to read to you. I'm going to share with you some things that come straight from our youth. I said, I need y'all to help me preach the message today. Share with me what God gave you this week, and I want to read some of these things for, for you. A contract is based on disbelief that you won't be able to withhold the relationship between you and the other person. And once the contract is up or violated, you are then fired. And the covenant is based off of faith, love, and trust between God and the other person. When we should not only view our relationship with God as a covenant rather than a contract, but we should also believe that we have the strength given to us by God to withhold it because it is worth upholding. That was a teenager, y'all. Listen to this. He will always restore beauty from ashes. The enemy is working to keep people down. We have to bring the water. A scavenger is only as good as his last sermon. 
What you believe about God affects what you believe about yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10 comes down to, For when I am weak, then I am strong with you. There is no Hebrew word for tragedy because they knew if it wasn't good, God was still working. Creation is predicated by chaos. We can no longer be a powerless church. We have people who had depression and anxiety broken off of them. Choices lead and feelings follow, and dreams were recalled. There is beauty in the chaos. Let me tell you something. We got preached to this week, and we, and I have, like, I'm going to try to give you, like, four days worth of impartation in, like, 25 minutes. So, like a fire hose, right? Just, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. But let me tell you something. On night three, there was a man by the name of Peter Toggs from Hillsong Church in Australia that came to speak. And he had flown literally 16 hours from Australia, got off the plane, and came to preach. He didn't even know what time it was. In his, where he was, it was three in the morning. He was like, if I'm saying words wrong, I'm sorry. I don't even know what day it is. He lost a day in there and everything. But he walked up on stage and he said, five minutes ago, God changed my message. And I don't know why he changed it. I had a message prepared five minutes ago. As I was walking into the church, God changed his message. And then he spent the next 30 minutes preaching to the 30 of us from Jackson, Tennessee. And I told him the next day in a leader session, I said, I have to tell you, you, God changed that message for 30 people from Jackson, Tennessee, because he preached a message about beauty out of the chaos. And listen, we sat in that room with five kids who had lost their siblings, with a woman who had lost her son, with a woman who had lost her husband, with young people who had been affected by the weight of grief and sorrow from months upon months upon months who were all there going, God, what are you going to give us from this? And he stood up there and preached a message about beauty from chaos. There were 900 people there and God made a way for us to receive what we needed to receive. And he looked at me and he said, thank you so much for telling me that. I really didn't know why God changed that message. It means a lot to me that you said that. Let me tell you something. God will always make sure that you have what you need because he's a covenant God. And he will always have what you need. So, all right, here we go. Number one, we're going to talk about belief, which is about having right standing with God. Belief. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, it says, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Was it his good works that made him righteous? No, it was his belief that made him in right standing with God. A covenant Listen, I've heard this. Let me tell you something. I've been to enough weddings when they were like, this is a covenant and not a contract. And I get it, yes. But this is really what it comes down to. We can only operate in covenant because we serve a covenant God. We're not capable of that on our own. But as that student said, a covenant is about trust and mutual agreement. You don't go into a covenant anticipating that it will be broken. Contracts are made because people break their word. And so you make a contract so that if they break their word, there is a repercussion and you can recoup what you invested, right? Because if you break your word, if you borrowed $1,000 and signed a contract and then you don't pay it back, that contract says you're responsible for what you received. That's not how a contract works, a covenant works. You see, God puts up all the goodness and only requires that we believe. He puts up all the goodness, 
and only requires that we believe. We sometimes, I think, have in our minds that there's a lot more to just basic salvation than there is. It's about belief. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that he was born of a virgin, that he came to this earth, that he lived sinless, that he walked around on this place, that he was dead and then brought back to life? Do you believe that? Do you have that belief? Then you are saved and you are in covenant with God. And he puts up all of his goodness and requires only that you believe. And if you believe, then things will come out of that. Because if you believe in that goodness, if you believe in that truth, you can't help but to act on it. But really all that is required to start with is belief. Over 320 students rededicated or gave their life to Christ that first night. 320 students. There were only 900 there. Do you realize that's over a third of the students who came? Six of ours responded to that message to make commitments and rededications. Let me tell you something. Hell is being plundered. Hell is being plundered by people who believe. You may have been in church all your life. Today, remind yourself of the covenant that God gave to you. If you believe... You are saved, and my goodness and everything about who I am is available to you because we are in covenant. You with me? Number two, we had a message called student versus scavenger. Yeah, student versus scavenger. Listen to this scripture in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Student versus scavenger. Let me tell you something. We have lived in a generation of people who think that a vicinity to the things of God is the same thing as being near to God. You can be around church and never be near God. And so we have to understand that vicinity is not nearness. I can stand next to someone. Let me tell you, I stood next to a lot of people. I could smell a lot of people, their essence. Middle school boy essence, mm, mm, it is not the sweet spirit of the Lord. Let me tell you something, okay? By the fourth night, you see a middle school boy worship, you're like, no, honey, worship here. We worship here. You don't need all of this. We worship here. Okay. We can be near people and not know who they are. I stood in some lines waiting to get into the building. And I mean, I'm up next to, and I'm like, I don't know who this person is, but we are in vicinity to each other. You can be all up next to God's and his house, all up in it and not have any nearness to him. We can't live in vicinity to God. We have to live in God. We have to be students and not scavengers. Let me tell you what a student does. A student studies, for one thing. Come on, you can't just come to church and let Pastor Jeremy or whoever preach to you and think that counts. It's like cramming for a test. You'll forget it as soon as you leave. You've got to constantly study the Word. Then you have to let the Word of God study you, right? 
You have to be studying the word and be studied by the word. And then you have to stand on the word. But let me tell you what scavengers do. All of us have been scavengers before. Scavengers search for a word. They never let the spirit settle in them, and they often drown when the storm comes. Scavengers say, but I need a word, but I need a word. I need a word for me. Like, if the pastor just preached, that was the word. That was the word. There are times when God will always move and give people different words at different seasons. But let me tell you, you cannot live grasping for somebody else to feed you. Scavengers pick off of what other people have left behind. You cannot pick off of what was left behind from your pastor or your parents or your church members. You have got to study yourself to show yourself approved. We cannot treat the word of God like a scavenger. We cannot treat church like we're a scavenger. Let me tell you something. Scavengers have to eat all the time because they don't get enough to sustain them. So if you were always saying, where's my word? Where's my word? I wish God would just speak to me. You're a scavenger and you need to start studying the word because when you study it, it says the word of God is hidden in my heart. And when the word of God is hidden in your heart, then it is there when you need it. And you don't have to go to somebody else to get it. It's there when you need it. So be a student of the word. Y'all hear this? These are messages being preached to 12 and 13-year-olds. If they can learn now to be a student of the word, then let me tell you, if we have a whole church full of students and not scavengers, we're going to be in a really good place. So let me tell you, take this and listen. It's time to be students of the word. It's time to get in there. That word said, Jesus answered the devil by saying, it is written. Let me tell you something. When you face a struggle, your only response has to be, it is written. It is written. When you're facing hardship, it is written that, I, that God will never leave me nor forsake me. When you're facing illness, it is written that by his stripes we are healed. It is written. Cling to and be a student of the word of God. The enemy's been trying to take my voice. Not today. Just don't try to talk to me afterwards. It'll be gone. Number three, beauty in the chaos. Man, I can't tell you how this sat on all of us. We were sitting on separate rows that night because some youth pastor snuck in and like that we couldn't get our rows together. So you know me. I'm like, that's okay. We didn't want to sit together anyway, you know. I'm too old. I've been going to youth camp for too long. So he speaks this word beauty in the chaos and we're on separate rows, right? And my kids are texted in church because that's what they do. But they text and they're like, I am shook right now. He is preaching to us, right? Like, we're all crying. We're just like, he's up there. He's like, I'm going to preach about beauty from the chaos. We're all like, no, he not. No, he not. He is. Okay. Okay, I'm shook. Preach to me. Let me hear it. Lord, let me hear it. Beauty from the chaos. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that the world was formless and empty, but the Spirit hovered over the waters. Here's the thing. There's that quote that my students said, that creation is predicated by chaos. There was chaos before there could be creation. There was chaos before there could be creation. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, it says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. If there is not order, it is not God. It's the truth. It's the word of God. God is not a God of disorder. That is why when the earth was formless and empty, his spirit hovered over the waters and creation began to take place. Those who understand the artist and the art see the beauty and the message in the chaos. He began to tell the story out of Mark chapter 5, a story most of us have heard before, about a young girl who was on her deathbed and her father had come to get Jesus. And he needed to get Jesus back, right? Because she was dying. But a woman with an issue of blood touched Jesus' garment. Here's something interesting. The woman had had the issue of blood for 12 years. The girl who was dying was 12 years old, both in need of Jesus. There was chaos, people around him, right? It says that Jesus stopped and asked, who touched me? That'd be like me in the middle of all the middle schoolers being like, who touched me? All of them did. They are all touching me right now. All of them. There's so many Axe body sprays in my vicinity that I can't even distinguish. My nose hairs are on fire. Can you imagine the disciples looking at Jesus in the middle of a crowd of people being like, "Who, Jesus, everybody touching you. What do you mean who touched me? Everybody touching you. But yet it was different because Jesus felt the power come out of him. He knew that someone had not only touched him, but someone had drawn from him. And so right there in the middle of that chaos, Jesus stops and he addresses the woman. And he says, because of your faith, you are healed. But see, while Jesus is doing this miraculous moment, you have to understand that the daughter who was dying, her father was important. Way more important than this woman with the issue of blood in the eyes of people. And yet God said, listen, you're going to wait because I got a deal right here. I got this moment. And so you see, in that moment, which seemed like chaos, while Jesus was seemingly to those around him distracted, the little girl died. And then people went crazy. Man, don't people love drama? Right? Oh, people love drama. He gets to the house. He gets to the house, and it says there's mourners out there. And they're wailing and crying. And Jesus takes only in his three, Peter, James, and John, to go in with him. And he tells them who are mourning and wallowing in the drama to step out. You don't come in here with me. Let me tell you something. If, if you're wrestling with something and all you got around you is people who are like, oh, yes, the world is unfair to you. If all you got is people who are wallowing for you and heaping the drama on you and fanning the flames of all the bad things happening to you. Listen, I don't know why you think Jesus is going to come in there and tolerate that. If you need a miracle, you need to get some of the chaos out so that he can come in. And he walks in and he says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And he speaks words over her that translate to little girl, get up. And she got up. When you know the artist, you can see the beauty in the chaos, right? And listen, for some of us, we have to understand that when the, one of our students said there's no Hebrew word for tragedy, there's not. There's not a word for tragedy because they firmly believed that if something was not going good, then God was not finished. So there was no reason to define 
the heartache. There was no reason to define the feeling of that moment because it meant God was not done yet. So listen, we are all being created. The Bible says that for we are God's workmanship or his masterpiece, right? We are his workmanship. And so your life as a canvas, if you are allowing God to paint your life, let me tell you something. Sometimes the enemy comes up with his cup full of paint and seems to throw it right on top of the beauty that God was creating in you. He seems to throw something on there that seems to cover up the beauty of what God was creating. But he's not the artist, and we know the artist. So when I look at life and I see the things that have been thrown into our faces, when I see the things that have clouded and covered up the goodness that God is creating, I trust and know that God will, as his word says, he works together all things for the good of those who seek him. So I trust and I know that even if things have been thrown onto my life that seem to darken and cloud the image of beauty in God. I trust and know that God can take even the worst, darkest, most dampening, worrisome, covering up thing, and he can take with his finger and begin to carve and move and shape the ugly into beauty. God will give beauty from chaos. If your life has chaos, you need to know the beauty is coming. The beauty is coming. I speak for all of us when I say there have been some chaotic moments, weeks, days. Some days it still feels like that. But I was reminded this week of the faithfulness of God. And I was reminded that nothing, nothing, is immovable to the God who formed the mountains. Nothing can withstand his touch. It will move. It will be reshaped. You see, you don't necessarily get rid of that mess, that chaos. You don't necessarily get rid of that loss. There's not like a moment where you all of a sudden forget. That's not what God talks about. We don't forget the things that have happened to us, but what we know is that God can shape them and mold them to where beauty rises up from them. Beauty from ashes, the word of God says over and over. There will be joy in the morning. Beauty from ashes. There's lots that we have lost, but we serve a God who never loses. So we can trust and know that he will create beauty out of what he has lost. We have lost. And everything that the enemy has stolen from us will be returned to us. And how I wish that he could return to us those we have loved and lost and we may not be able to have them back but I know that they're with the Lord and so I trust and know that what has been taken from us will be restored so for everyone that has been taken from us I demand sevenfold what the enemy has taken we will see prodigals come home to know Jesus Christ if you don't believe it you need to know it happened already this week 
There were young people who were not coming, who were in the throes of addiction, who didn't want to go on this trip, but somebody paid their way. Somebody bullied them into coming. And the very first night, they lifted their hands and turned their heart to God. And I told the enemy, you messed with the wrong people. Because let me tell you something. When you look into the wild and you see mama bears and mama elephants, right? If one of them is hurt, what do they do? Circle around. Let me tell you something. I felt like telling the enemy, you should have messed with somebody else. Because the mama bear inside of me has done risen up and you not getting through to anybody else. I have circled, this church has circled around. And those that have seemed far, they may be physically far away right now. But in our spirits, right now, we have circled around them and said, the enemy tried to create chaos, but God will create beauty. What was stolen from us shall be returned to us. Those who are lost will be found and know the saving love of Jesus Christ. We will not fan the flames of drama, only to fan the flames of hope, because we know a, so we serve a creative God, not a destructive God. There is no tragedy. There is only tomorrow, and it will come. I told y'all I drank a whole venti coffee. When I was a kid, if the preacher took his jacket off, that meant like, it was, he, was, he was trying to signal. It's like really going down. Some of them used to take their watch off, you know. They'd be like, I'm taking my watch off. And as a kid, I'm like, please don't. Put it back on. We're not trying to be here all day. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? For me, I'm a chick. I'm not wearing a suit coat. But I don't put my hair up. So it means I guess we'll see what happens. I know y'all don't know what to do with me today. I'm not usually like this. <laughs> Okay, last night, the last night, look, I'm, only, I'm good, I'm doing good. All right, the last night, point number four, carry the water. Let me tell you something about Pastor Grant Pankratz who runs Youth America. He just stepped in, his father built Church of the Harvest, built Youth America, and after 30 years he transitioned, turned it over to Grant. When I was there a million years ago as an intern, Grant Pankratz was this um, punk little kid who used to steal the golf carts from the interns. And we'd be like, how am I supposed to, where, where's the golf cart? Grant, Grant. We knew he had it, right? And so this year and, and, and in the past several years, we begin to see him walk with a sense of authority. And he's a wonderful man, him and his wife, Monica, man, they, they pour so much into our people, our young people. And I told him this week, I said, it looks like your face has changed. There's like a new authority and weight of anointing resting on you. And on the final night, he preached this word, carry the water. And it just blew me away. Because the reason we take our kids year after year to this place, you have to know, because it sounds crazy to drive 10 hours to Oklahoma. This is why we take them. Because they seek to build the church. And this last message was for the church. Carry the water. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is when they were celebrating the provision of God in the wilderness. 
on the very last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now listen, one of the things they were celebrating about the wilderness is that when the people in the wilderness needed water, Moses took his staff and struck a rock and water came. And here is Jesus. On the day they are celebrating physical water being provided to the Israelites, he stands up and says, if you are thirsty, come to me and get a drink. Man, right here, he shifts everything on its head. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Streams of living water will flow from within him. We are vessels. It is our job to carry the water. It is our job to carry the water, the living water of Jesus Christ into the deserts of our schools, into the deserts of our workplaces, into the deserts of our community. It is our job to carry the living water. It is our job to carry it. We did not get saved so we could wait for heaven. We got saved so that as his word says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is our job to bring the model of heaven to earth. What is there should come here. What works in heaven will work here. We need to carry living water to the dry and thirsty places. This church building, this Sunday, is, it's, like a, it's like a water tower, right? We come, we receive encouragement, and we are refilled so that like tributaries coming out of the river, we can flow into our opposite directions and bring water and life to everywhere we go. If you're waiting here and you're just like, I just, I need a filling. Well, you got a filling. Now go, go. You got living water inside of you. It goes with you. And begin to think about this. If I got a river of water flowing out of me, somebody remember that old song? I got rivers of life flowing. Yep, yep, some of y'all. Y'all ain't been around since the 90s. It's okay, right? And maybe even longer than that. If I got a river of life flowing out of me, and you got a river of life flowing out of you, and you, and you, and you. Then let me tell you something. We go from having little tributaries, little small streams and babbling brooks, to being a rushing force of water in this community. We are supposed to carry water out wherever we go. The water that cleansed you should flow through you. Where the people of God are, a city should rise up and flourish. Because cities are built around water. They didn't build cities randomly in the desert. They would find water. When you look in the Old Testament, they fought over wells. People fought. They were like, no, this well was found by my father's grandfather's uncle's uncle's like way back. So it is my well. And they'd be like, but no, your great uncle, aunt, so-and-so gave it to my father. And now it is my well. Why? Because water is important. It is what was needed for life. So cities rise up and flourish where there is water. There are enough churches and Christians in this city that we should begin to see the flourishing of God because there's water here. And if we're storing it all up in our church houses, there's a desert around us that is suffering and we're hoarding the water. 
And we've got to quit hoarding the water. I come, I get my bucket, I go out, I throw it. We have got to start bringing some water to these people. We cannot keep it all inside of us. We cannot. We have got to carry it out. The devil has systems, and the only force that can square up to them is the church. The devil has systems. If he can start with one thing, he's got a plan, right? It's like dominoes falling. If he can establish poverty, then it continues on, right? And then you have poverty causes fathers to be lost. And then you have a fatherless generation. And then you have these other systems that are established. And if God can get one family member, if the enemy can get one family member addicted, then statistics say that the next child will be addicted and addiction will flow through. The enemy works in systems. If he can convince one person that their life is worth nothing, then he can convince another person. And systems begin to rise up and establish themselves. And the only thing that can tear down the systems of the enemy is a rush of flooding living water because let me tell you something water changes the landscape it shapes and it moves the grand canyon exists because rushing water carved out a path let me tell you something there may be systems that are established there are strongholds that are established and that stronghold can be established but if we the church will square up and bring our water together and begin to flow together we can begin to push out of the way poverty, push out of the way addiction, push out of the way brokenness, and change the landscape of this city and this world if we will just start pouring out the water. We need a church of people who believe, really believe. We need a church of students who will study the word of God, not scavenge off of it. We need a church who know the artist and see the beauty. And we need a church who will carry the water. And I firmly believe we are that church. I firmly believe we are that church. And so we have to rise up and do it. When I was a kid, man, coming back from youth camp, it was like everybody just wanted to see us jump around, right? They'd be like, yeah, youth, jump in, right? But you know what? Listen, I'm old, and I would really like to jump, but this is about all I got. What? What? Right? They up there doing this little dance called shooting. I can't do it. Yeah, here, Jack, go ahead. There they go. They just jumping. And I can't do it. This is me. I'm like foot firmly on the ground because we don't take these feet off the ground. Okay? Because if they both come up, who knows what will go down. <laughs> so I'm up there. I'm like, yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I can pick it up the pace a little bit, kind of bounce, make it look like it, right? But youth camp used to be all about just getting hype, right? And let me tell you about hype. Man, it ends. You guys, we can't live in a fervor. We can't live in mania. That's exhausting. We can't. You go up to the top of the mountain. The mountaintop is small. You're not meant to live at the peak. If you're up here on the peak, who's talking to all the people down here? You living up here. Who's talking to people down here? 
So listen, it's great to come back on fire, and I feel like we are. But let me tell you, more than living for hype, I got young people who are becoming students of the work. Let me tell you something. What other church do you know of that has a front row full of young people who are taking notes? Some of y'all ought to be shamed because they can tell you everything Pastor Jeremy's preached in the past six months. And you're like, oh, that one you did about that thing was really good. <laughs> right? But they're taking notes, which could be dangerous because I don't know what we say sometimes. And I'm like, I said that? Did I say that? Whoops, <laughs> right? What church do you know that has young people who are beginning to be students of the word of God? Come on, listen to this. These kids said creation is predicated by chaos. Y'all, I didn't even know what predicated mean. I was like the predicate of a sentence. I didn't know what that meant. But we got young people who are walking around here as students of the word. I don't care if they come up here and twirl around in circles. What I care about is that they carry water with them where they go. And when the enemy comes against them, they're like, it is written. Because let me tell you something. Your hype and your bounce will not carry you through the storm. When the storm comes, you better quit jumping. You better stand firm. And you better ride that thing out. So it's time to quit worrying about whether we roll in and on fire and start worrying about do we have water and are our feet planted and are we ready to go? We have got to be firm. Quit looking for the hype. Quit looking for the next revelation word. Quit looking for the next high. Start living for the word of God. Start living for the word of God. Jesus, Jesus, every day, Jesus. In Billy Graham's will, he told his children to remember that it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus and him crucified. That's got to be enough for us, folks. If it's not, we will drown. Jesus and him crucified. That has got to live in us. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was broken, and now I'm restored. I was hopeless, now I have hope. The enemy sought to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus overcome by the power of the lamb, and he overcome by the blood, and he carries the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can steal from me what God has given me. I am forever in the palm of his hand. Nothing can pluck me out of it. And it's time for us as a church to rise up as mama elephants, circle around a hurting and broken world, and begin to saturate them with the water of living Jesus Christ flowing out of us. Begin to circle up and let restoration come to this generation. Restoration come to this city. If we want to know why this city is in the shape it's in, it's because it's thirsty. It's thirsty. When you are dehydrated, you shut down. When you are thirsty, you cannot function. When you are thirsty, you will drink anything. And so we have a city and a generation and a world that is thirsty. And here we are hoarding all the water. And it's time to pour it out. It's time to pour it out. Pioneers was the theme. And I believe as a church, it's time that we start pioneering and leading the charge. And it's not done through programs are great. Big events are great. But the best way to distribute water is for me who has it to give you who needs it 
a drink. If you need it, then I'm going to give it to you. I can pour it all out, but man, it really gets where it needs to go if I take the time to give it. And that's what we are called to be. Y'all stand with me and let's pray today as we close out. I need my T.D. Jakes rag. Y'all didn't know I was a big old man preacher trapped inside a woman's body. But I sound like it and I'm sweating like it today. Listen, can you declare with me today? Lift one hand if you say, I believe. Lift another hand if you believe that you want to be a student of the word. I am a student. Say it. I'm a student not a scavenger. Lift your head up to God and say, I believe you are making a masterpiece. I trust you, the artist. Lord, we lift up our hands to you. We lift up our faces to you today. And we ask God that you refill us with your living water. God, that you pour into us. As scripture has said, he who drinks from me will never thirst again. I believe, God, that you are pouring your fresh water into us. Let us go into the world and break down. We square up against the systems of the enemy. We square up and we begin to pour out your water to a thirsty land. We pour it out, Jesus. We pour it out on the hopeless and the lost today. We square up and we say, you have robbed this generation, this city for long enough. It's time to open up the floodgates and let living water flow in Jesus' name. We pray, God, we go in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.